Welcome back to Second Story Work, the novel. I'm Josh Sobalski, author of Second Story Work. In this week's episode, we'll be listening to chapters 24 and 25 of my debut novel, which was released September 28, 2020. In last week's episode, Hecky made a decision that would have catastrophic consequences for him and Derek. The men also had a ghost from their past emerge to the surface. Thanks for coming back. I'm excited to bring you episode 9. Enjoy. Chapter 24 March 2009 The next morning, Anna dropped Derek off at the house and he walked into a roommate ambush. Hecky was making eggs in the kitchen. Derek walked past him and poured himself a cup of coffee. Hecky began mumbling to him. Keep her at a safe distance, Sarge. We got a lot of plates spinning and we don't need her to bring them all crashing down. Slow your roll, Hecky. I know what I'm doing. Derek went to the liquor store to collect his tips that afternoon. As he was walking in, Maddie was walking out. He had just completed a day shift and he was headed to his car. Sup? Hey, Derek. Just finished work. Heading to my folks' place. Nice. Who was the girl last night? Asked Maddie. She looked familiar. She's a cop. Maddie nodded his head. I think I've seen her before. Yeah, you have. What are you saying right now? Asked Maddie. You want to hang out or something? Derek looked at his watch. We can, yeah. I just came here to get my tips. How about you get your trunks from your place and you can come out to my parents for a dip? They got a pool? That sounds good. Derek picked up his tips and he and Maddie drove to Maddie's parents' house. They stopped at Woodsworth along the way. Maddie's parents' house was a 4,000 square foot mansion. It couldn't have been more than five years old. Derek stared at it in awe. Maddie opened his parents' garage using a code. He didn't hide it. 7954. And the door opened. Derek and Maddie walked through the house. Everywhere Derek looked, he saw an item that was more expensive than all the items in his home put together. The house was ultra modern, heavy on the use of whites, blacks, and grays. As they walked to the back of the house, Maddie pointed to the change room. You can put on your trunks in there. No way, it's an indoor pool? Derek walked in the change room and switched into his trunks. He exited and spotted Maddie bringing out a couple of Stellas. Derek jumped into the pool and swam a few laps while Maddie played on his phone and drank. Derek surfaced and climbed out of the pool. Maddie handed him a beer as he lay down on a lounge chair. This is living, eh? said Maddie. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'll be honest, dude. I want to talk to you. About the robbery? asked Derek. Yeah. Does it bother you at all? Well, yeah. I mean, I hated feeling hopeless while it was going on. Does that feeling linger? Maddie wondered. Not really, replied Derek as he shrugged his shoulders. I mean, I guess I just try not to think about it. I can't stop. It haunts me, dude. I cannot stop thinking about that. How come? Derek asked. I just felt like high school all over again. I got that helpless feeling like I was being bullied. That's fine, Maddie. No, I can't feel that hopeless again. It just brings up too many bad memories. I won't feel it. Derek paused for a moment. It's fine. We'll learn from it. I'll tell you one thing, dude. If I ever come across those guys, I'll get my cousin George's crew after them. Who's George? Derek asked. My cousin. He's thug as hell. Like for real? Like a real thug? Like a full-on, tatted-up, slinging dope, carrying a piece kind of thug. The following week, business began to slow down at Eat It and Beat It. After paying their bills, they were down 2000 bucks. Two weeks after that, they were down three grand. The truck was beginning to bleed money. But after cleaning their cash, they were profitable on paper. Hecky was starting to get antsy. His baby, their ticket to legitimizing their dirty money, was failing. Their initial guess was that they wouldn't turn a profit for about six months. This was a worst case scenario. They hoped they'd lose roughly a grand a week. It only took them three weeks to lose what they estimated they would lose in two months. They needed a solution or they'd be pissing away their hard earned dirty money. On top of their money woes, Arlove had started chipping and Hecky, Messi and Derek were joy popping. Hecky was the biggest culprit. If Messi and Derek had a $200 a week drug habit, Hecky had a $1,000 a week habit. They were draining their resources quicker than five food trucks ever could. After a third unsuccessful and heavily deflating week, Hecky sat the boys down in the backyard for a chat. 
He'd drawn up a marketing plan to bring in new clientele. Hecky's plan was a month-long blitz that involved television, radio, and newspaper ads, as well as billboards around the city. He'd done his homework and even consulted with a local marketing firm. It would cost the boys $50,000 to flood Vancouver with their marketing. It was a gamble, but the reward was worth it. The boys voted unanimously in favor of Hecky's plan. The first week with the new ads, they lost a grand. The following week, they cut their losses to 800 bucks. The ads were working, slowly. The boys closed the month, 3,500 bucks in the red, and Hecky felt like it was a success. He wanted to invest another 25 grand into marketing. The boys obliged, although after the first month, their faith in him had waned. They'd had a minor increase in business, but they were spending a lot on advertising. They'd spent almost 150 grand on an unprofitable food truck and laundered just 50K. The boys lost three grand the next month. The business was slowly trending in the right direction and getting positive reviews online. After month two, they scaled back their marketing to $5,000 a month. But even then, they were losing $8,000 a month in dirty money. After laundering 12 grand a month, they were turning a profit of $1,000 a week on paper. A week passed and the boys were at the Soho. With their dirty money disappearing, Messi, Derek, and Arlov were panicking. Their laundering machine was becoming a money pit. After a few beers, Messi suggested that they look to sell the truck while it looked profitable on paper. Hecky lost his shit. I put everything into this goddamn thing and this is the thanks I get? Calm down, exclaimed Derek. Yeah, man, relax. It was just a suggestion, yelled Messi. We do need a plan. We are bleeding cash, said Hecky, more calmly. I'm open to ideas that don't involve selling this thing. How does anyone run a legitimate business in this country? Derek wondered. Sure seems impossible, said Arlov. It pisses me off, said Derek. I have all these people working in my store, taking fancy vacations with their parents, posting pictures online and shit. How's that possible? Asked Messi. Oh, dude, their parents are loaded. You should see the shit they have. Jewelry, electronics, cash. Home alarms? Hecky wondered out loud. Yep, and I know the codes. <laughs> you do not, shouted Hecky. I do, said Derek. What do they do? Asked Arlov. They own restaurants. I thought about bringing it up before, but we had gone legit. It'd be an easy take, though. When are they back? Hecky was curious. Two weeks, Derek replied. Hecky smiled wide, and Derek got up tight. He knew what Hecky was thinking. We need to do that place like yesterday, said Hecky. Come on, man, replied Derek. We already did my work. Now you're going to knock off my friends? They have insurance, dude. It ain't right, man. It's necessary, replied Hecky. Unless you guys are okay with continuing to bleed money. Arlov and Messi nodded and looked over at Derek. Messi gave Derek a look, as if to say, fuck it. They finished their beer and drove back to the house. They needed to start planning right away if they were going to do things right. The boys sat in the living room and Hecky began to make lists. Responsibilities, supplies, contingency plans, alibis, and hideouts. After three hours and going over every scenario possible, they had a plan. Arlov and Messi would scout the house for four days to look for security features or looky-loos. Hecky would gather supplies from around town. The boys needed outfits, masks, gloves, and tools, not to mention a huge moving truck for transport. Derek's job was to keep tabs on Maddie and make sure there weren't any surprises. He also needed to steal a license plate and figure out how to fence the items that they were stealing. He'd heard a recent news story from Washington State where a man had successfully robbed a bank but didn't plan what he would do with the money afterward. He put it in a friend's crawl space and eventually lost a huge chunk of it to mold and the elements. Derek knew that they couldn't have that happen. After four days of scouting the house, gathering supplies, and drawing up plans, the boys met back at the house. Messi and Arlov looked beat. 96 hours in a car did them in. They'd taken turns sleeping, but it wasn't the same as sleeping at home. It was all worth it, however. They determined that Maddie's family didn't have anyone checking in on the house. Hecky did well, too. He located a white cargo van within four blocks of the house that was perfect for unloading the stolen goods after the robbery. They would transfer the goods to Hecky's Windstar and rent an SUV. Following that, they would drive to Alberta 
and sell the stolen property. The night before the robbery, Hecky sent Arlov and Messi to bed early to catch up on their rest. Around 11 p.m., Hecky and Derek left the house and swiped the van and a license plate. They returned home shortly after midnight. Hecky woke the boys and grabbed the supplies while Derek replated the van. 20 minutes later, they made the 15-minute drive to Maddie's parents. Hecky parked across the street from the house. Derek jumped out of the van, crossing the street onto the property. He kept repeating to himself, 7954 and 9812, codes to the garage and the house. He pressed 7956, fuck, 7954, bingo. The garage door opened and Hecky pulled the van inside. As soon as the hood cleared, Derek closed the door. They were in. The boys jumped out of the van and walked toward the door into the house. Hecky had a crowbar in his hand as he approached it. Derek signaled stop. He brushed by Hecky and opened the door. He stepped inside and heard the alarm beeping. He keyed in the code, 9812, silence. Keep your masks on, there could be cameras. The boys nodded their heads at Derek. He was the first man into the kitchen. It looked like something out of a home improvement magazine. This is a nice fucking kitchen, said Hecky. Messi had already walked past Derek into the living room. Holy fuck, he exclaimed. On the living room wall was the biggest television the boys had ever seen. Along with it was a PS3, an Xbox 360, a Bose home theater system, along with a few hundred Blu-ray movies and games. On top of that were two MacBook laptops and a desktop iMac. Hecky pointed out our love, who nodded. He dismantled their setup in five minutes. Hecky would reprogram the computers in a night. The boys followed Derek as he walked down the hall to the bedrooms. They walked into a guest room that had a MacBook Pro in it. Guest bedroom number two, the same. Hecky grew impatient and charged down the hall to the master bedroom. Holy shit! The boys walked in behind him and took a look around the room. Another 80-inch television, a dozen high-end guitars, and the biggest jewelry collection anyone had ever seen. The jewelry box had a small lock on it which Hecky quickly mashed with a crowbar. Inside of it were gold, silver, diamonds, and pearls. Hecky grabbed a duffel bag and began emptying the jewelry into it. Case up those guitars, he snapped at Massey. Derek entered the walk-in closet to find at least 30 designer men's watches, 30 designer suits, a dozen pair of sunglasses, high-end shoes, and expensive clothing, not to mention all the women's clothing and shoes that he knew nothing about. Hecky followed Derek into the closet. Holy shit, dude, said Hecky as he smiled at Derek through his mask. Derek nodded. We need a bigger bag. We're going to need 10 bigger bags, yelled Hecky. Derek began pulling suits out when he stumbled upon a small hidden safe. Yo, check this out. Hecky walked over and took down the model number. Derek didn't think anything of it as he packed the last suit into a luggage bag and stood to his feet. Hecky strolled back in with one of the MacBook Pros and a toolbox. The fuck are you doing, Hecky? We built one of these fuckers as a prop last year. I'm going to see if I can break it, replied Hecky. You keep going, dude. Grab everything that's worth anything. How do you know what to do? A bunch of the guys we brought in last year were safe crackers. They showed us how to build one and how to break one. Hecky stayed in the room to try and crack the safe while Derek took the luggage to the van. Arlov and Messi loaded the electronics and guitars in as well. Derek turned back to walk into the house when he saw a set of headlights shine through the garage door lighting up the room. The boys ducked for cover and quietly closed the van door. Derek heard a car door open, followed by footsteps getting louder and louder. Someone was walking towards the house. Derek stayed low as he listened attentively for the garage door to open. In the shadow of the headlights, he could see the shape of someone's head on the right side of the van. It looked as if they were peering in through the window. Derek looked up on the left side of the van and noticed the car was a security vehicle. He thought, how the fuck did Messi and our love miss this? Derek ducked back down and crawled towards the door into the house. The figure outside was still peering in through the window on the right side of the van. Derek crawled to the door, opened it, and made his way inside. Messi and Arlov were walking towards the exit with their arms full when they saw Derek, who quietly closed the door behind him. What the fuck are you doing? asked Messi. Get down! Security is outside. Messi and Arlov ducked out of the way. Derek crawled past them to the master. What's up? asked Hecky. Get down! Security's outside, Derek whispered. Oh fuck, 
said Hecky as he dropped to his chest. Derek could see the flashlight through the window. How many guys? asked Hecky. Just one, I think, Derek answered back. Hecky and Derek stayed low for a few minutes until security left. Messi and Arlov came into the room. How did you guys miss that? asked Hecky. We didn't. He never came before, answered Arlov. Fucking Jesus, that was close. The boys caught their breath. You guys want to see something? asked Hecky. Did you open it? Derek asked with excitement. Hecky turned and smiled. Yup. He walked the boys into the bedroom closet and opened the safe to reveal massive stacks of money. Oh my God, yelled Messi. How much fucking money is that? asked Derek. I haven't counted it, said Hecky as he began to pull out stacks. Check to make sure there's no dye packs, said Arlov. Why would there be a dye pack? asked Hecky. You never know, replied Arlov. Banks fucking do it. Hecky began pulling out stacks of money and checking them. Each stack was $10,000. He went through them, checking for a dye pack. He counted the last stack, turned to the boys, and smiled. 43, 430 grand. The boys stood in silence. They'd hit the big time. This wasn't ripping off a store or a small-time thug. They were ripping off a big-time player, connected to something. Do we do this? asked Derek. Fuck yeah, we do it, replied Hecky. Derek cautioned the boys. If we do this, we're all the way in. We are already all the way in, replied Hecky. We already busted in here and loaded the van. Why would we turn back now? Derek continued. This money means that people are really after us. People are already after us, said Messi. What does this really change? Derek looked at Messi and grimaced. It's up to you guys. I just worry that if we jump into this life with both feet, we're going to end up with toe tags. I'll roll the dice, said Hecky, as he smashed two stacks of money together. Me too, Messi followed up. Derek looked over at Arlov, thinking that he'd have his support. I'm okay with it. Derek locked eyes with Arlov and shook his head. Are you sure? We're already vulnerable in this world. Do you really want to intertwine yourself in another one? What's one more? Arlov shrugged his shoulders. Guys, we are bringing on a whirlwind of shit. These stories we hear, the ones in the news, we're going to become one of those cautionary tales. We should go, said Arlov. Yeah, let's get the fuck out of here. Heck, you followed up. The boys loaded the van, opened the garage door, and left. The drive back to the house was silent. They were excited, and Derek was nervous. They hadn't tipped off the police, or anyone for that matter. They were in and out, quiet and professional, but Derek knew they'd poked the bear. Hecky circled a few blocks and doubled back several times to ensure they weren't being followed. They pulled into the garage and unloaded their ill-gotten goods. Derek removed the plates from the van. He and Hecky returned them and the van back to where they belonged. They worked for another hour without saying a word to one another. Derek followed Hecky back to the house. Inside, they found Arlov and Messi drinking Johnny Walker Blue and celebrating. They'd lined up 40 stolen bottles of high-end liquor on the countertop. You swipe this? asked Derek. Yup, replied Arlov. Hecky and Derek walked over and poured some Johnny Blue. You guys are nuts, said Derek as he raised the glass. Cheers, boys. I hope you know what we're doing. Hecky poured himself a glass and took a sip. What's the final haul? Arlov had taken an inventory. He threw the white dry erase board on the table. It read, $430,000 cash, four bottles of Johnny Walker Blue, four bottles of Belvedere, three bottles of Grey Goose, a Glenfiddich 1937, a Highland Park, Royal Salute by Chivas Regal, the Macallan 1939, four bottles of Dom, and a mix of 20 high-end other liquors, 15 Armani suits, 15 other suits ranging from Versace to Dolce & Gabbana, 44 dresses ranging from Versace to Louis Vuitton, 7 Louis Vuitton handbags, 27 pairs of women's shoes, 25 men's pairs ranging from Gucci to Louis Vuitton, 7 Rolexes, 5 female Rolexes, 18 other watches ranging from Tag Heuer to Richard Mile, 35 pairs of sunglasses, 8 MacBook Pro laptops, and 4 iMac desktops, 7 flat screen televisions, nine iPods, seven Blu-ray players, four Bose home theater systems, four sets of Bose headphones, four full sets of Titleist golf clubs, 12 guitars, including four Paul Reed Smiths, two Ibanez, and two Gibson Les Pauls, 
three Xbox 360s, and three PS3s. The list went on and on. Clothes, jewelry, electronics, and even food. Arlov had raided their fridge and freezer, taking steaks, roasts, and seafood. Fuck, boys, what are we going to do with all this? Asked Eric. Road trip, replied Hecky. I'm going to Alberta with Messi. I think I can stop working, said Derek. Yeah, I think the time has come, said Messi. We all need to focus on the truck now. We can finally rest easy and make this thing work. The next day, Hecky and Messi loaded the van and drove to Alberta. Derek gave his two weeks notice to his boss. After work that evening, Maddie asked Derek to go for a beer next door. The hostess sat them down in front of one of the big TVs. As they began drinking, Derek struggled to keep his secret. He had robbed Maddie's parents, and he figured Maddie must not know yet. Derek made small talk. You good, buddy? I was, until this week. Why, what happened? Derek followed up, fully knowing what the answer would be. My folks' place got robbed. Fuck, thought Derek. Fuck, eh? That's terrible. Yeah, man, it's fucking awful, said Maddie. Do the police know who did it? Come on, Maddie snickered. Derek panicked as Maddie continued. The cops don't know who robbed this place. Fair point, replied Derek, breathing a sigh of relief. I feel... Maddie rubbed his head and then continued. Violated, I guess. Like, guys like us work so hard, and where does it get us? Nowhere, Derek quickly answered. My folks too. Like, they bust their ass to get where they are, and then some lowlife robs them. It's fucked. I know, dude. I get it. You know, I mentioned that my cousin slings, right? Maddie asked. Derek nodded his head, and Maddie continued. Anyways, he always tries to reel me in, but I always tell him no. I never wanted to put my chips in that pot and turn over something I don't want to face. Derek agreed. Yeah, most of those guys end up dead or in jail. But, dude, I look at it now. If my family and I are going to have our lives interrupted by them anyway, then why the fuck not do it? Are you thinking of going into his business? Asked Derek. I seriously am. Bad idea, Maddie. You're a good kid. Good things will happen to you. Your parents do well. They must have something tucked away for you. Derek felt guilty, thinking he and his buddies might have pushed Maddie into this. That's naive, Derek. Good things don't just happen. Yeah, well, Derek glanced away for a second. You do this, and bad things will happen. You aren't above the trouble that you're sure to bring on. Derek, we make what, like 1800 a month after tax and tips? Yeah, if we have a good month. My cousin will start me. Maddie paused and repeated himself. My cousin will start me at $500 a day for a few hours of work. Cash in my hand at the end of the day. Doing what? Asked Derek. Packaging and weighing. I know what that means. Derek quickly shot back. It would take me less than eight weeks to earn what I would make in one year at the liquor store. Yeah, but at what cost though, Maddie? Maddie shrugged his shoulders. It's just something to consider, you know. I do, said Derek, but consider the flip side to that. He began cautioning Maddie. I don't think you understand the paradigm that you'll put yourself in. Derek patted Maddie on the shoulder and stood up to walk over to the bathroom. Why not go to your parents for more money? They seem well off. I burned that bridge, man. When I dropped out, my dad cut me off. Okay, I gotta hit the head, Derek said, walking to the bathroom. A few minutes later, he returned to see Maddie with a strange look on his face. Smoke? He asked. Derek nodded as Maddie stood up and put his jacket on. Once outside, they lit cigarettes and Maddie stepped to Derek real close. He opened his hand to reveal a baggie of cocaine. I went looking for your lighter and found this. What the fuck? Give it back. Maddie put the coke back in Derek's coat pocket and turned away. I can get you better shit than that, Maddie said with an excited look on his face. Right, your cousin. George, was it? Yeah, man. It's like I told you. One call is all it would take. Maddie, be serious. You're too nice of a guy for that life. I think I'd be all right. Derek looked out to the night sky. You really want to risk your freedom like that? Or your life? Like I said, half those guys end up dead. Or in jail. In their 20s. Yeah, Derek, but aren't we all just killing time until time kills us? I guess, replied Derek. It's a moot point for you. You've got your truck. You're good. I just have to figure out my own shit. Teach his own, Derek shot back. I'll bring an eight for you tomorrow, and it'll blow your mind. Pun intended. 200 bucks. Done, replied Derek. 
And just like that, Maddie had become a drug dealer. If only Maddie knew what Derek was into. Hecky and Messi returned from Alberta six days later. Their total haul for the trip, minus expense, was just under 40 grand, meaning their total cash haul for the job was $470,000. They needed to start putting cash through the truck with more urgency. Two weeks after Derek left the liquor store, the boys made two grand profit and three grand the week after that. They held steady at three grand for a few weeks, but on paper, they were showing eight grand in profit. Word was out that they had the best sandwich in the city and people began to flock to the truck to try Derek's concoctions. In May, the boys extended their hours into the night to attract bar goers and they watched their profits balloon to $5,000 a week. $5,000 a week in honest, hard-earned cash. All the while, they were washing $10,000. Derek deposited $15,000 into his bank account and paid $650 for his bills. He paid off his student debt in the first week of June. There was no need to buy food, booze, or any toys because he had everything that he could need, except a car. He did need a car, though. And with all that he and the boys had been doing, they were starting to outgrow their house. For his birthday, Derek bought himself a fully loaded Ford Edge SUV, just like Anna's. The boys thought he was crazy, but he knew that within a few months, he'd have the car paid off. The neighbors began to grow suspicious about all the money the boys suddenly had. To counter this, the boys began to bring the truck around the house as a way to take eyes off of them. They needed to show the neighbors that they were legitimate business owners who were just trying to make a go of it. Derek went back to Maddie to buy more stiff, and once again, Maddie asked Derek if he was interested in slinging. He wasn't. Maddie told Derek that he was making $30,000 a month and had bought a brand new RX-8 in cash. Chapter 25, October 4th, 2009. Messi ate burgers on the couch while Derek lay in bed, still floating from the high of falling for Mandy. Messi prattled on about what makes certain burgers better than others and how the motel room sucked because there weren't enough burger joints within walking distance. He began to delve deep into the subject when Derek's cell phone rang. Derek sprung to his feet, jogged over, and answered it. On the other end of the line was Hecky. He had bad news. June 2009 Derek drove his new Ford Edge back to the house to meet the boys for dinner. He pulled onto Woodsworth Avenue with his music cranked, and as he approached the house, he noticed Anna sitting in her Ford Edge. He honked and parked the car. Anna approached the vehicle as Derek jumped out. You couldn't resist copying me, said Anna as she cracked a smile. I had to, replied Derek. He smiled back as they embraced in the street. So, birthday boy, would you like to have dinner with me? I'd love to, Derek answered, but I'm having dinner with the boys. You should come with. Call your girlfriends. We can go out after. Yeah, okay, sure. Anna called her friends and they met up with the boys at Secret Room on Alexander. The irony of going to the Secret Room made Derek snicker. The evening started off with laughs over dinner. Derek knew that Hecky felt boxed in, especially since he was high. Messy was too. Derek was for that matter as well. However, Derek and Messi were keeping it together a little bit better than Hecky. He was agitated that Derek had invited the girls. He felt as though Derek ruined the evening. Fuck him, thought Derek. It's my birthday. After dinner, they continued at the bar. More drinking led to dancing, and dancing led to more drinking, and more drinking led to more racket. Hecky, Messi, and Derek were snowbirds, riding the wave. It was incredible to Derek that Anna was a cop, a detective no less. She didn't seem to notice that three of the four guys she was partying with were banging enough blow to kill any normal human. Hecky and Derek were baiting Anna to catch them bumping lines. Derek felt a weird sense of excitement, and Hecky finally began to understand why Derek was getting off on all of it. Shortly after his birthday, Derek went home for his grandparents' 50th anniversary in Ottawa, checking into the Chateau Laurier. After a successful buy, he was back in his room doing lemonade. He flipped on the news. The lead story was a report on three gang shootings in Vancouver, all within the last 24 hours. All the shootings involved Devil's Grip and ROP, retaliation for Kent Sanderson. Derek attended his family party and had a great time celebrating the occasion. His family was happy to see him. Many hugs and tears were exchanged and wept. He left the party half in the bag and began walking down beautiful Main Street Renfrew. The downtown had an old-fashioned, small-town charm that you'd see in the movies. 
He strolled down the sidewalk, like McAdams and Gosling in the notebook. Only he was alone. Derek needed to think. He walked into his bank on the east side of Raglan Street and withdrew $100. Pocketing the money, he walked out the front door and stood on the corner of Raglan and Renfrew Avenue. He was listening to his iPod. He waited patiently for the light to turn. As he looked to his right, he remembered that there was a trail down Renfrew Avenue that led out to the Mattaway Activity Center. That road ran perpendicular to Highway 132, a straight shot out of Renfrew. Across the street to Derek's left was the post office. To the left of that was an alleyway to another street. Derek's mind wandered. He began to think that if he ever had intentions of knocking off a bank, this would be the one. The police station was located on the other side of town, and by the time the cops could respond, Derek and his crew would be switching cars and heading to Highway 132. He snickered to himself and put the silly thoughts out of his head. He walked to the bar up the street and sat on the patio, drinking Chivas. He was still thinking about his escape route. It was the kind of route a bank robber would dream about, but he didn't need the money. Two days later, Derek was craving sushi. Renfrew had one place to get it, located on the corner of Renfrew Avenue and Raglan, directly across the street from Derek's bank. Derek took his brother out for lunch. During their second course, he saw an armored truck pull in front of the bank and stop. The two men in the truck sat still for a moment before the passenger exited, walked around the back, and climbed inside. The guard was inside the tin can for about a minute before he re-emerged with a cart stacked with money bags. The guard had to look down and lift his cart onto the sidewalk before wheeling it up to the front door of the bank. During that time, he could have been ambushed from any direction. Derek's mind began to race. How often did they do these drops? How much money was in there? Is there another guy in the back of the truck? How are the driver's sight lines? Would the driver exit if the vehicle was attacked? A few minutes later, the guard returned and the truck left. Danik caught Derek staring and called him out. You listening? Sorry, bud, Derek replied, just in a daze. The next day, Derek went back downtown and walked alongside the back of the bank. He then walked straight down Renfrew Avenue, continuing to the hiking trail. He walked it. The trail was wide enough for a skilled driver to navigate it. The concrete blocks placed in front of the trail's entrances were another story. Derek knew that all these obstacles stood in his way. As he played the scenarios through his head, he kept laughing to himself about how crazy this idea was. Why get greedy, he thought. Derek flew back to Vancouver on Wednesday. Heck, he was waiting for him at the airport. As they drove to the Soho in the mid-afternoon, Derek eased into the passenger seat of the van, kicked off his shoes, and took a deep haul of his cigarette. A calm came over him. The breath of tobacco, laced with fresh mountain air, calmed his nerves. Now that he was far enough away from Renfrew, the lure of knocking off that truck would subside. The boys arrived and sat in their usual booth in the back corner. Derek felt weird to be at the Soho so early in the day. Moments later, Messi and Arlo rolled in and sat with them. They all ordered dinner. Derek noticed that something was off. What's going on, boys? Tell him, Hecky, said Arlov. Tell me what, Derek asked. Hecky looked Derek dead in the eye and said, I took a hundred G's from our last job and I invested it in a different job. Invested it? You bought Coke with it, yelled Arlov. Keep your voice down, said Messi. He bought five kilos. For a hundred G's? asked Derek. Hecky nodded and smiled. It's a good fucking price said Derek as he nodded too. Jesus Christ, exclaimed Arlov. Look, I'm not condoning it, but it's a good fucking price. Where'd you get it? Guy up in Squamish, replied Hecky. He had it. He needed cash quick. I work with him at the ski hill. And what are we going to do with that much coke? Asked Messi. Hecky looked over at Derek and smirked. Derek's immediate thought was Maddie. Fuck me, thought Derek. What are we getting into now? Any ideas? Hecky pressed him. What about your guy that we sold our other shit to? Asked Derek. No good. He's out. He's out? What is he, the only drug dealer to ever quit drug dealing? I guess, Hecky replied. Any other ideas? One, Derek answered as he hesitated. Things were going well for the boys. Derek felt as though Hecky was getting greedy and reckless. One is good, replied Hecky. Honestly, I don't know why I did this. I've been real fucked up lately. No excuses replied Arlov. I'm sick of excuses. We pull a stealth job and then you go do this? 
fuck Arlov, you don't even know what's going on with me. You have no idea what I'm going through. Enlighten me, Hecky. Unburden yourself, said Arlov. I've got depression. Like clinically diagnosed depression. A silence fell over the table as the waitress brought eight pounds of wings to the booth. She put the wings on the table as the boys digested Hecky's news. He continued, and I'm bipolar. Messi and Derek looked at each other. Was he being truthful? If he was, Derek felt for him. The next morning, Derek received a text just as he woke up. It was Maddie, welcoming him back to Vancouver. He had the day off and he was checking to see if Derek wanted to go for a beer. Maddie drove over to the house, picked Derek up, and drove him to Oscar's Pub on Hastings Street. They sat and shared an afternoon picture. Derek knew what he wanted to discuss, but he wasn't sure how to bring it up. Something was different with Maddie. He had swagger, and he was starting to look less like the innocent boy Derek had first met. After his second beer, Derek finally worked up the nerve to bring it up. Maddie, when you said you had connections, what'd you mean? Maddie grinned. I meant if you wanted things, I could get them. Are you deep in this shit now? What do you care, Derek? You told me not to get into it. I'm still telling you that, Maddie. Nah, you didn't come here for that. Maddie began to press Derek. Did you want me to hook you up? I'm not slinging 20s to get by, Maddie. Neither am I, Derek. I got my guys doing that. I just bag and point them in the direction that they should go. Maddie looked at Derek, who nodded his head with a look of skepticism on his face. Maddie continued. Don't judge me. You don't know my shit. I do know, Maddie. I took the fucking beating at the store. I got robbed too. I went through that. It wasn't just us, shouted Maddie. My folks got ripped off too. Yeah, Derek nodded. And that sucks. Yeah, well, I'm sick of feeling this way, Derek. What way? Dispensable, powerless. So Maddie, you think that by slinging, you won't feel used? These guys are going to chew you and toss you. I'll get out when I have enough to do what I want. And what's that? Asked Derek as he set his beer down. Leave this soulless fucking place for good. Derek paused for a second. What if I wanted to hook you up? What you mean? Asked Maddie. What if I brought something to your doorstep? Do you know people who'd open the door? Well, I'm into it now. My cousin moves, said Maddie with a grin. But his pipes are dry. I could bring gas to the pumps. How much fuel? Asked Maddie. Derek took a sip of his beer and held up five fingers. Maddie was stunned. Five? He asked. Derek jingled his keys. Fuck off, Derek, said Maddie as he laughed to himself. I'm dead fucking serious. And if he wants it, tell him it's 35 per. You set it up. Just the three of us. No fucking bullshit. Where'd you get it? Asked Maddie. Don't worry. What matters is that I have it and that you can have it for five by 35. Set it up. Let me get in touch, said Maddie. Maddie walked outside and Derek stood up and walked to the bathroom. Maddie was back at the table when Derek returned to his seat. It's on, said Maddie. Tomorrow at noon, liquor store parking lot. That's fucked, dude. Right out in the open? In broad fucking daylight? Would you prefer an alley at night, Derek? No. Well, at least we know the cameras there don't work. Derek drove to meet Maddie and George the next day. He brought a gun in his shirt and taped an extra to the bottom of his seat, just in case shit went down. Derek was game. He pulled into the liquor store parking lot and backed in next to Maddie's car. He admired the cloudless blue sky as Maddie entered the passenger side and dropped his heavy school bag in Derek's lap. Derek unzipped the bag and looked in it. He checked to make sure the cash was legitimate and not just a couple of hundreds with a bunch of fives. It was good. Derek grabbed the bag of bricks from under his seat and handed them to Maddie. He opened the bag and took a look. Looks good. You aren't going to try it? Asked Derek. Fuck no, I don't do this shit. Besides, if you rip him off, he's going to bend you, homie. Noted. See ya, Derek, said Matty as he jumped out of the car. Derek felt under his shirt with his hand. He was drenched in sweat. October 4th, 2009. Hecky was on the phone. He was supposed to meet up with Arlov and head home, but Arlov never showed. Have you heard from him, Sarge? Asked Hecky. I haven't heard shit. We've just been laying low. Sarge fell in love again, dude, yelled Messi. Shut up. This is serious. Did you text him? Asked Derek. I tried everything. I don't know where he is. This really isn't like him. Okay, said Derek. 
concerned. We're heading home tomorrow. Okay, Sarge. I'm going to wait a few more hours and then I'll head home. I can't wait here forever. Do what you got to do, Hecky. Let me know if you hear from him. Likewise, drive safe, fellas. Later, Hecky, yelled Messi. Derek hung up the phone and received a text from Mandy. It read, breakfast at my place? That's forward, he texted back. I meant my diner, you sicko. Oh, ha ha. Okay, I'll meet you there. Is 8 a.m. okay? Asked Derek via text. Okay, guess I can sleep in. Night. Good night. Messy cut in. Is that your girlfriend? Dude, stop, joked Derek as he pushed Messy away. At 7.30 a.m., Derek woke up, crawled out of bed, quickly showered and dressed before walking out of the motel. Hey, you, yelled Mandy as she jumped out from around the corner. Jesus Christ, shouted Derek, grabbing his chest and nearly jumping out of his shoes. How'd you sleep? I might never sleep again. Aw, did I scare you? Asked Mandy. Just a little, replied Derek as he clutched his heart again. Yeah, I got you good. How long were you waiting out here? Ah, just a few minutes. Messy walked outside and stood behind Derek. He looked tired and strung out. He and Mandy exchanged smiles and she tried to make nice. Good morning, I'm Mandy. Hey, I'm Yoshi, replied Messi. It was the first time Derek ever heard Messi introduce himself as that. Messi walked to the car and opened the trunk. As he did, Derek's phone rang. Must be mommy, joked Messi. Derek answered. It was Hecky. Hey, what's up? Are you near a TV? Asked Hecky. Turn it to the Vancouver News. Derek walked back into the motel room and looked for a remote. Mandy and Messi followed him. What's up? Asked Derek as he turned and barked an order to Messi. Yo, throw it on global TV. My dad just texted me and he said there was a murder on our street, replied Hecky. I'm still driving home, so I don't know. Messi found the remote and flipped to Global BC. They were displaying a shot of the boys' street with the caption, Murder in West Point Gray. He's right. That's our street. Derek studied the image and realized the murder house was their house. July 2009. A week after Derek made the exchange with Maddie, he and Messi were invited to a pool party. Messi's co-worker Mark was house-sitting his parents' place. The home had a pool inside and out, a $15,000 barbecue, a $20,000 sound system, and high-end everything. Derek began to mingle, but he was bored within an hour. What interested him was the high-end items in the house that could easily be removed. Derek smoked and looked around as if he was looking at women. Don't even think it, said Messi. What? We aren't knocking this place down. Not gonna happen. I was looking for girls, Messi. You were not. You're thinking this place looks like an easy target. God damn. Derek grinned at Messi. How'd you know? There isn't a looker in this whole goddamn place, Sarge. You know, you guys were good with hitting all my places, but a score falls in our lap and you don't want it because it's your people? What was that you said last week about not getting greedy? Asked Messi. We're sitting on like 600 grand in cash. Isn't that enough? It is, Derek replied. Until we get jammed up and need more, this is ripe for the picking, dude. I already know the security code, too. How? Asked Messi. Dude, it's written on the side of their fucking fridge. Fuck. Really? Yeah, dude. God damn, said Messi. Yeah, we have to do it. When are his parents back? Five weeks. And Mark is gone for a four-day weekend next weekend. Killian walked over to the boys. He was dressed in a pink belly shirt. Hey, boys. How are you? Messi high-fived Killian, and he sat beside them. Hey, Killian, does that shirt come in boys? Asked Messi. Killian looked at Derek and Messi and grinned. Messi, you've come in enough boys for all of us. Derek laughed uncontrollably. Fuck. I teed that one up, said Messi. Killian pointed at a girl. I told that girl over there that if she smelled as bad as she looked, she'd clear out this place. Derek nearly spit out his drink. That's so fucking mean. The following Friday, the boys rented two cargo vans and drove to Mark's parents in broad daylight. It was a three-man job. Messi, Hecky, and Derek were on board. Arlov had to man the food truck and preserve an alibi. 
he would join the boys on his three-hour lunch. The boys pulled into Mark's parents' driveway. Derek jumped out of the van and punched the garage code into the keypad. The door opened. Derek walked inside where he opened a second garage door. Messi and Hecky backed the vans into the garage. As soon as the hood cleared the doorway, Derek shut the doors and made his way inside. He cleared the house before they began the hunt. After two hours of tearing the house apart, they packed the vans, opened the garage doors, and took off. Derek took Arlov back to the truck and made his way home. Hecky and Messi were parked on the street when Derek arrived back at the house. He jumped into the van with Hecky, and they began the nine-hour drive to Canmore. The next day, Messi and Arlov drove the other van to meet Derek and Hecky in Canmore and unload the rest of the goods. After exhausting the pawn shops in Canmore, they drove the hour and a bit to Calgary and began unloading items there. They returned to Vancouver, having lined their pockets with $63,000 in cash. Early the next day, the boys approached the house having returned from Alberta. Anna's car pulled up on the street. She jumped out and ran up towards the boys who were standing at their front door. Hey, Anna, said Derek as he smiled at her. Where the hell have you been? She asked sternly. We went on a little roadie. You didn't think to maybe give me a heads up? She asked. I didn't know we were in that spot right now. It's not a spot, Derek. It's common courtesy to send a text saying, hey, I'm taking off for a week. Derek scoffed out loud. It was three days, Anna. Whatever, Anna turned and stormed off. Go on your secret trips and see if I care. Well, obviously you do care. You wouldn't be here otherwise. What are you hiding? Anna stopped and turned to face Derek. What's your big fucking secret? What are you talking about? When I met you, Derek, you were flat broke. Now you have all this money, trips out of town. What changed? I own my own business, Anna. Yeah, what business is that? The truck, replied Derek. No one is making that kind of money selling soup and sandwiches in an office park. A voice shouted from behind Derek. We are. It was Hecky. We're making that kind of money. In fact, the reason we took this trip was to try and line up a new beef supplier in Alberta. We're trying to get better. Anna stormed off to her car and drove away. That evening, a member of the ROP was shot and killed in his truck at close range by members of the Devil's Grip. Three nights later, a member of the ROP was shot in his car in broad daylight right in the middle of an intersection three blocks from Woodsworth. Another shooting near the Soho two days later. Things in the city were blowing up, and Hecky wanted to move. The boys had outgrown their four-bedroom home. Hecky began searching for an alternative home for the boys to move into. He eventually settled on moving into a five-bedroom house on West 3rd Avenue in Point Grey. The house was mint. It had incredible ocean views, as well as views of Stanley Park and the North Shore Mountain. Inside was an upgraded kitchen, complete with high-end stainless steel appliances. It also had three large upstairs bedrooms, and on the main floor was another bedroom, as well as a spacious living room, family room, and dining room. The house even had a library, in addition to a large open deck outside. On the bottom floor were three spacious multifunctioned rooms with a walkout that was leveled to the backyard, and all for the low, low price of $7,500 a month. The boys were stepping up their game. It was a week before the move, and Derek was packing up the living room when the doorbell rang. Maddie was at the door. What's going on, bro? Hey, can I come in for a bit, Derek? Yeah, come on in. Maddie walked in and kicked off his flip-flops. Derek led him to the living room. You want a beer or something? Nah, I'm good, man. Maddie pointed to the boxes. You moving? Yeah, dude. We got a new pad in Point Grey. We're all moving up there. Oh, shit, replied Maddie. You guys are moving on up. Yeah, buddy. So what's up? Listen, man, I know you said what we did was a one-time thing. Before Maddie could finish his sentence, Derek cut him off. It was, and it's going to stay that way. Listen, Derek, my cousin wants more of that shit. He'll pay. Derek walked over to his whiteboard and wrote the word outside on it. Maddie followed him into the backyard. Derek shut the back door. We don't talk in there. Sorry, Maddie apologized, but I'm serious. Big money. Maddie, you ever hear of a kid named Joe Braylick? No, who is he? He was a bodybuilder from Burnaby. He went to LA to allegedly make a drug deal? Yeah, yeah, shit, yeah, I remember that. He never came back, right? They kept calling him Superman or something? That's right, Maddie. 
And that cautionary tale right there is the reason I will never hook you up again. And if I were you, I'd stop associating with your cousin on that level. Hecky walked outside through the back door and lit a cigarette. Hey boys, what's up? Maddie was just leaving. Ah, too bad. I got a bottle of bourbon and a few steaks to cook up. Stick around, Maddie. What kind? Maddie asked. Pritchard's, double barrel. I'm in, replied Maddie as he looked at Derek and smiled. Derek knew Maddie's play. Befriend Hecky and use him to get plugged into the pipeline. Derek's only move was to get Maddie away from Hecky. He went to the bathroom to collect himself. After a few minutes, he knew he had to go back out. He exited the bathroom where Messi was waiting for him. Dude, why the fuck is Maddie here? I know, Derek replied. We need him out. Goddamn right. Go keep them at arm's length. I'll think of something. Oh, you'll think of something, Messi? You're going to hatch a scheme, are you? Just go, Sarge. Derek returned to the backyard. Maddie and Hecky were making small talk about Korean barbecue. Derek wondered if he had missed all the talk about cocaine. An awkward silence fell over the yard. What was Maddie's play? Derek wondered. Why come to them for blow? Derek's first intuition was to just ask him. Maddie, why are you here? We don't have anything. We buy small for personal use. Nothing more. Oh, Derek, I think your boy's holding out on you. Derek's head snapped over at Hecky. What is he talking about? Hecky swallowed hard. I got five more bricks upstairs. Same price. If you want them, they're yours, Maddie. You motherfucker, yelled Derek as he got in Hecky's face. What the fuck? yelled Messi from inside the house. Maddie walked inside and Hecky looked at the boys and smiled. Wipe that fucking smile off your face, Hecky. Where are you getting all the blow? asked Messi. I traded for it. Traded for it? said Messi. What the fuck did you trade for it? Weed. You can't trade weed for coke, Messi stated as he walked outside. Yeah, replied Hacky. You can. I worked with a guy up in Squamish who has a grow up. I buy weed and I trade it with a guy in Washington for coke. Fuck off, exclaimed Derek. Look, boys, weed goes for a premium in Cali and coke is worth a shitload more here. We aren't getting into slinging, Hacky, said Derek. We're going to end up dead or in jail. Yeah, dude, this isn't smart, said Messi. How do you even make the exchange? In Abbotsford, there's a road that separates the U.S. and Canada. Hecky let that fact marinate with the boys for a second before he continued. I drove down it, tossed a bag out the window, while Steve tossed a bag in the side door of the van. I never got my speed below 40. Jesus Christ, that's so stupid, yelled Derek. Stupid. I made $300,000 profit in four hours of work. You put this whole house at risk, Hecky. Money isn't useful if we're in fucking jail. I would have taken the fall if I got caught, said Hecky. I would hope so, Derek replied, since you did this on your own. That's it for chapters 24 and 25. Thank you so much for listening. If you like my work, please give me a follow on Instagram or Facebook. My handle is at author Josh Sabalski. I'm also on Twitter at author J Sabalski. I also host a podcast with my good friend Corey Leckie titled Second Story. Please give it a listen and I hope you enjoy. Thanks again. I'm author Josh Sabalski. See you next week. Take care.